The Way Out Podcast, episode 359. Hey, what's up, man? What's your name? Hey, my name is Daryl Glaze. Daryl Glaze. What's up, brother? And uh, are you yourself a person in long-term recovery? I am a person considered to be in long-term recovery, uh, 38 years under my belt. And uh, it was it was something I decided to, to uh, do a long time ago. And the thing about, about big thing about it was, hey, you know, I need to change. I was in a very bad place back to back in those days. So, Damn. thirty eight years—that's amazing. And uh, what was your substance of choice or DOC? Uh, DOC was Jack Daniels. Go <laughs> <laughs> Jack. Jack Daniels and Crown Royal were my best friends. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Crown I think everybody does like those two kind of are pretty pretty similar. And then uh Jameson is another one that I was like doing for a while. Whiskey. I think whiskey's just that man like the man's drink, you know. Everybody thinks that's yeah. a man's drink, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it was more about it was more about sophistication for me, so I thought, but it turned instead of being sophisticated, it turned out to be one of the biggest fools I knew. So Oh, I hear that, man. <laughs> And then I had to hear about it later. I'm like, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned you had 38 years, but what is your recovery date, sir? Jeez, uh, what was it? Um, April of, what was it? April of 2091? Is that right? I think that's right. Somewhere in there. I forgot. I stopped counting days a long time ago. I yeah, I can imagine. It's that. probably so, hard to remember <laughs> for that long. Uh, that's okay. You know, 38 years, that's all we need to know. And uh, how do you serve the recovery community, Daryl? Well, uh, two ways. Uh, we're on, we're, I'm a program manager for Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge. I've been working there for over 17 years. Uh, in that process, uh, I get the opportunity to see men when they come in literally at their worst uh, when they come in whether it's fresh off the streets fresh out of prison fresh out of jail you know they're at the very beginning stages of what recovery even remotely looks like and uh, i get the opportunity to speak life into them and, and talk to them and how help them coach them through the motivation process of getting through recovery and understanding well, what long-term recovery can look like so you said two ways though that's one. Oh, i'm sorry so yeah, so that's one way. The other way I do is that I have my own coaching practice also called uh, called Speaking Life to You, which uh, derives from an actual teaching that I do called Motivation Through Recovery. And Motivation Through Recovery uh, is it was designed to help the recovering addict break the cycle of recovery to relapse, to live a very, so they can live very happy, healthy, and productive lives. And the whole thing behind that, how that even came about, was that just literally back in, like 2011, 2012, I was sitting down and I was talking with a, a coworker. And at that time, we had probably seen more relapses than we have seen of people that we knew who've been in recovery, people who we knew have gone through treatment, and that some of you had long-term recovery under their belt, you know, for, for quite some time. We're talking about anywhere between, you know, 10, 11 years, 12 years, that kind of thing. And then some that were like, you know, basically had two or three months, six months, eight months out of, out of the box really going at it um but then but we started seeing all these relapses so i had to ask myself a question i was like well you know what what's causing this you know so 
it was kind of interesting because it was it was not something I had planned on doing. It just ha started happening. But literally over a three year period, I sat down with close to probably a people, hundred people that were in recovery. And I just had coffee, sat down and asked them just a question. We you know what made, what was making you so successful or not so successful because there were people I met that were successful and people who were not so successful in their recovery. And the key factor was this, is that the people who literally were not doing well focused primarily on their sobriety. But the people who were doing very well realize that now that they are in recovery, no matter where they are in a recovery stage, they realize that now that the addiction was no longer in the way, they had a clean track to run on and they had a foundation to build from. So some of them went and, uh, you know, got and got that dream job, went back to get the GED, get the degree, get the training certificates, whatever it was, uh, started their own business, uh, you know, whatever it is. And we're actually realizing that now recovery is not just about me making sure I'm sober. I still did everything I needed to do. They went to their meetings, got together with the sponsor, did all those things. But they realized that they had something new they could start adding to their life. And what we're gonna do is to help them help to get their best life for the rest of their life. And what and that's that was the thing that really drove me. And I started actually teaching uh, this curriculum or this workshop, or now which developed into a workshop. I actually started teaching this at Teen Challenge, and I realized that uh, I, my biggest thing was one: how do I get it more into the community? How do I become to work more in, in the community? And then that's when it really got interesting because RCOs start popping up, uh, recovery community organizations, and uh, I, which, which right now one of my workshops is being featured in an RCO right now, uh, Frog Town Cafe. So I get the opportunity. I get the opportunity to go down there on Wednesday nights and just share the opportunity and share people and let people know, man, there's a listen, there's a there's something that you can actually build from this experience. Okay. There's I, that's why I love when I when I see guys like you who are doing podcasts. I see others who have their own thing going on when it comes to recovery because it's letting people know, man, that once you're you're past this, once you've gotten to a point where you have started to grow in your recovery, you can actually start doing what Step 12 tells us to do, which is give back and share this message with others. Amen. And I'm looking forward to talking more about that later in the interview, for sure, because there's so much there. I just want to like interject, but we'll do it later. Trust me, it'll happen. Last, but certainly not least for our introduction segment, what does recovery mean to you? What recovery means to me is that to be at a place where I can start having a life worth living, when I can start putting things together. I, I, I know everything won't be perfect. And as I, and I, I teach in some of my workshops, it's like, look, just because you're in recovery doesn't mean that everything you think you deserve back or, or think you want back or is gonna come back. So understand the fact is that you gotta understand that there's a whole new life for you to go out there and build. There's a whole new life. I tell people all the time, I give them the analogy about, you know, uh, there was somebody who hadn't seen me in over 30 years, but just remembered who I used to be. And and when they came at me when I was when I, when I was down in, in, in the area, Chicago, they started coming at me about that. And after they got done, <laughs> I asked the question. I said, well, let me ask you a question. First of all, who are you? I mean, it's been 30 years, man. I don't know who you are. <laughs> and then when he told me, you know, then when he told me who he was, I, I, I began to tell him. I was like, well, yeah, you know what? I, I appreciate that. And if I heard you or anybody in your family, I apologize. I said, but let, let me just explain uh. something. Number one, that's not who I am. Okay. Number two, 
uh, I, I have built a network of people over the last 30 plus years who love me, support me, and come alongside me in this in this journey. So, I, so the fact that you weren't in my life before, you don't have you don't have to be in my life now. And I said, and that's one of the keys that I believe that you. I mean, we all get to that place, you know, where we want people to come back in our lives. We want to, whether it's a marriage or store or kids in our life or things of that nature. That's good. That's exactly what God can order the opportunity to do, but he's not going to force anybody to do what they don't want to do. So when you understand that, you start realizing that, okay, what's next? Which is the biggest, which is the biggest question everybody should be asking who's in recovery. It's not, it's, it's not now what, it's what's next. So you start actually start building and living a life worth living to start putting yourself in a position where you can start making a difference in your life for the rest of your life. Welcome Way Out faithful and first timers to this week's installment of the Way Out podcast. We appreciate your ears. Our mission is simple, to bring you powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics so you can jumpstart or re-energize your recovery from alcoholism and addiction. The Way Out podcast does not speak on behalf of, nor are we affiliated with any 12-step organization. The Way Out podcast is a proud supporter of Transitions Daily. Would you like to join a free, anonymous online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. Don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Make sure to check us out on the web at www.wayoutcast.com. There you can subscribe to ensure you get the latest episodes first on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Help us recover out loud by giving us a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Your voice matters, so share your thoughts on recovery with us by calling us at 218-382-1960 or leaving a message with us on the Anchor app, available for Android and Apple. Someone, somewhere, needs to hear your share. Listen up, everyone. Certified and professional recovery coaching is now available by going to wayoutcast.com and then clicking on Recovery Coaching. We want to help you and those you know who want help in building a strong, rewarding, and enduring recovery. Let our recovery experience and training enhance and strengthen your recovery by visiting wayoutcast.com and then clicking on Recovery Coaching. Finally, a word of caution, this podcast may contain strong language and mature content. Listener discretion is advised. The Way Out podcast is on right now. I'm Charlie, and in this edition of The Way Out, co-host extraordinaire Jason had the pleasure of interviewing person in long-term recovery, Daryl Glaze. Daryl is an inspirational addiction and recovery expert and speaker, motivational coach, and ordained minister. Over the last 20 years, interacting with recovering addicts and substance abusers in a variety of capacities, Daryl observed that the ones who didn't have any dreams, any big whys beyond abstinence, were far more likely to relapse 
or have a recurrence of their substance use disorder than those who did. As a result, Daryl developed a workshop to help those who are in recovery find purpose or their big wives. Now Daryl speaks, runs workshops, and is the head certified recovery coach at Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge. No matter what hat he's wearing, his message is that many folks find they need a goal bigger than merely abstinence to motivate themselves to achieve meaningful and enduring recovery. You don't want to miss the tremendous message Gerald has for you. So listen up. Hey, everybody out there in Way Out Podcast Land. What's up? It's your trusty co-host, Jason. I have a special guest with me, man, Daryl Glaze. He is a motivation coach. He's been working at Teen Challenge for 17 years, motivating the guys coming straight out prison, straight off ISR, straight off the streets, homeless, you name it. These, these dudes, this is where the desperation is real. And uh, Daryl's there on the front lines, has been doing it for almost two decades uh, helping people find a sustainable and meaningful recovery. Welcome to the show, Daryl. Thanks for being here. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you having me, Jason. Yeah, man, I'm I'm stoked. Like it means a lot to me. I think back, I think back, dude, to my uh, early days, and I think I went. So, like the first time I met you, I went to a Teen Challenge with my stripper girlfriend. Uh, just shot up like a half gram on the way there. And then I think I ate about a teener sized chunk in the parking lot and I wouldn't stop smoking cigarettes because I was like scared to go in. They didn't let me leave my room for three days because I was so high and I was in psychosis in there. And, you know, I think once I came down and was able to enter into the you know, population and, and the programming, I lasted like a whopping five days. I was mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. ready at all. And my hopelessness was there. Matter of fact, that was also, you know, Dave that uh, comes and does some stuff for you guys over at Teen Challenge. Oh, Dave yeah. Johnson. Dave Johnson. He came in and prayed for me when I thought that I was like, my veins were going to explode and I was like going to die in my room. Cause I was having like a panic attack yeah. or something. And it, that was the first time I think I ever let anybody pray over me, dude. And like that whole experience was really weird and surreal. And, and I wasn't ready for all that, but I still look back on that. Like it was a place I needed to be, even if it was for such a short time, because like, it was the like my first uh introduction to like christ as a healer you know and and a savior right and and a redeemer and and like getting to meet guys like dave and like yourself and uh there's a couple other fellows there that uh even like some of the clients that really like stepped alongside me because they could see that i was like such a mess (laughs) and uh I don't know, man. It it just kind of helped restore my faith in humanity as well. So it, even though it was a short-lived experience, it was very profound. And I and then I actually had the opportunity to work there for a short while as well. So I got to meet you again on a, like the other side of that when I yeah. was doing well and thriving. And I thought I wanted to help guys. So, man, you you I can't imagine how many people's lives you've touched in, in your time there. Uh, it's it's 
like you'll only know once God opens the big book, right? <laughs> you know, I tell you, you know, I, somebody, you know, I, I get the, I get the, the accolades, which isn't necessary, but it does come where people will say things like, man, I just can't believe what you do. Thank you for what you do. Appreciate what you do. You know, it's just, I, I don't know how you do it. You have all these different things. But the one thing I always tell people is that, you know, when you understand what God has in store for you and you understand that he's the only one that's providing it, he's the only one that's doing it through you, then it becomes easier. Yeah. When people get to a point where they, they say, you know, we work in this field and you work in this industry and you go, you know, I get burnt out. I don't know if I want to do this or well, if I'm called to this. I think it's, it's not the fact that people just get burnt out. I think people go, forget it's not they don't they don't understand. They understand what they're doing, but they forget why they're doing it. And that's the key. Every day, I mean, it's not that I don't have bad days. It's not that I don't have bad exchanges with clients or anything like that. But here's the key. I realize why I'm doing what I'm doing. It's got nothing to do with me. It's got everything to do with the one that's inside of me. And if it wasn't for God, I wouldn't have the opportunity to do this. And I think that's one of the reasons what what's just, what is the reason why I've sustained doing this for this for this long period of time. Right. And I know it's not easy, but here's what I know. I know as long as I see one person, one person get this, one person go to the next level, one person understand that they can be free of their addiction. And then we see them restored back into their families, to their friends, and you see them start thriving and driving in the community in the right way and not the wrong. It just does your heart good. I always tell the story about, you know, uh, you know, I tell you, so it's kind of a it's kind of a fictitious thing. But I always tell this story is that when I sit down and I talk to guys, and I say, listen, guys, I said, my reward is not the day you walk across that stage at the on team challenge graduation day. That's not my reward. I said, you know, what my reward is my reward is 30 is about, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, maybe even years from now. And here I am at the state fair walking down the freeway on my walker. <laughs> <laughs> and and I and, and I see you I see you come you come walking up to me hey old man you remember me and I look you dead in the face and go no <laughs> <laughs> and you say you told me that I am somebody you told me that I do matter you told me that God loved me and you told me man that I can have this life now look at me I've got my I got my wife back in my life I got my kids back in my life we're serving God together we're doing some great things together man I just want to thank you for believing in me. That's my reward. There's no amount of paycheck that can ever add value to that. No, man. And the source of power, to your point, it's like if I'm thinking that it's me, I'm making a difference in people's lives. You know, if I'm thinking this is in my power, of course the well's going to run dry. Of course I'm going to mm -hmm. feel burnt out. Uh, the, that's not where it comes from, to your point. You know, it's... It's from God, man, and God is an infinite source of power. And you know what? What does Scripture tell us? Greater is He that's in me than He that is in the world. But first, He's got the He has to be in you, operating through you, in order to make the difference in the lives you call to touch. Love it, brother. So, Daryl, we really want to hear about you. Uh, so, I want you to take a moment to tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up for little Daryl. And uh, <laughs> and how did you find uh, or what what happened that made you turn into an alcoholic? <laughs> well, it was it was really easy. I'm a, a first of all, I'm a I, I used to be a great hider. 
Uh, so, you know, some people would say, you know, you know, if they were high or drunk, you know, you, when you were around other people, you know, you were embarrassed and that kind of thing. I was the exact opposite. I used to do the deal where I would go and hide. So I would do the disappearing act, you know, so I would do the Houdini. You know, it's like, where's Daryl? Well, if you, if you can't find Daryl, you know exactly what's going on at the time. I used to hide it real well. But it all started when I grew up in a foster home in Chicago, Illinois. And uh, I grew up in that foster home from when I was from three years old to the age of nine. Uh, and foster care back in those days, this is like this is the early 70s. So foster care was a little different back in those days. Not nowhere near like it is now. You know, people used to run um, illegal foster homes all over the place. And I have to be in one. And it's not because it's not because my mother didn't know me, but she kind of had no choice. Uh, she just had to put me there. And I, I actually got to see her like every weekend, every other weekend, that kind of thing. But the thing was, is that, it, you know, it was always at that, that time, Sunday night at five o'clock was what the time you dreaded because you had to go right back to that place again. She picked me up on Friday night. I had to go back on Sunday night. And uh, and I was there for five for five what, for five days a week, uh, all the way from kindergarten to, the, to first grade, actually all the way through third grade. And then and fourth grade is when I actually was able to come back home. But in that process, um, in that setting, what well, it was very hard, very depressing. Of course, you had different personalities, a lot of classes that went on there. You know, uh, I got I used to get in a lot of trouble academically at school and got into trouble a couple of other times where I actually uh, was wrestling with a guy and lost my temper and uh, drove his head into the side of a, of a brick house and split his head wide open. And that, tried, that caused an issue. Um, but. It was it was all those things that me understanding is that with no guidance, no, you know, on a regular basis and always keeping things hidden. When I first time ever got a chance to try to drink, it was actually <laughs> it was my first taste of Crown Royal. I think that's I tell, I tell people, I said, I think that's why I never became a beer drinker, <laughs> because I think because what happened was that literally I started trying my Crown Royal that my grandmother used to keep in her bedroom that she used to hide. But, you know kids we explore so we we find stuff what's yeah. this you know that kind of thing <laughs> you know what i found out uh, what it may look like tea but brother it wasn't tea so <laughs> so it was so so i got you know so i got it into that deal and in that process uh you know just kept tasting every now and then and what have you but what really did it for me is that uh when i was in high school and I started, you know, my friend's brother, our older brother introduced me to marijuana and then it was always introduced me to drink and what have you. And that was and that was that really got into it. So then I got into a place in my life where I thought that the biggest problem was Chicago. I didn't I, I didn't I never thought that it would ever be me, but I thought it was Chicago. So uh, when my cousin talked me into moving up here, he had no idea of my issue or anything like that. But he knew they said, man, I'm telling you, there's opportunity up here in Minnesota. You can get up here and get a job just like that. He wasn't lying. I came up here in 1985. And uh, and, and I got to tell you, I can't I literally I had three jobs in, in like two days, you know, wow. and uh, I mean, back back then, I mean, I had, a, you know, I had a job at the theater. I worked at 7-Eleven back then, back when it was 7-Eleven. And uh, I was where I was working at uh, an insurance company in, in the microfeeds department. So, I mean, I had I mean, so getting a job was never an issue at all. But uh, it did become a problem in keeping them, holding on to them. And nobody could ever prove the fact that I was drinking, but my performance would always begin to suffer, okay? Showing up late to work, uh, those kind of things. Never showed up drunk on the job. I thought at one time I was a pretty good functioning 
uh, uh, alcoholic. And that's what I call it now compared to what it was then. Uh, but while I began to realize that I needed help and I didn't know how to get that help and I didn't know how to reach out to anybody because I considered it to be embarrassing because uh, everybody looked at my one uncle in my in my life who was a who was a, a drunk was an absolute you know roaring drunk, and everybody looked at him looked down on him, and I didn't want people to look down on me, so that's why right. I would always retreat and withdraw. So, hmm. wow, so that kind of kept you from going getting too far gone for for a number of years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it put me in a, it, it put me it put me in a place where I you know I just I just was just. I would just do disappearing acts, you know, and I would always, and then, you know, and then as a man, what did I always blame it on? Blame it on the woman. So, <laughs> you know, so, you know, <laughs> it, yeah, you know, it, 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 oh, you know, I met this girl. That's why I was, you know, so much and we hanging out, you know, that kind of thing. And that was, and that wasn't, that wasn't even close to the truth. So yeah. uh, it just got to that point that this need, need to be handled. So one day, literally, uh, as I decided to uh, just get out, and I was I was in I was in St. Paul. I lost everything. Lost my marriage. Uh, lost my. I, I, I'm remarried now to someone wonder, wonderful lady who is a blessing in my life. But I lost my first marriage. I lost 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 the the, the property we had, the whole nine yards. And you know, in her, I become so mean and even somewhat abusive in her life that she had to move all the way to Washington D.C. It just got to be that bad. Uh, now it's from from Minnesota here, and I remember being homeless and walking down University. I'll never forget that time. I was standing on University in Victoria. There's a bus stop right there, heading into downtown St. Paul, and I was on my way to Dorothy Day Center. And you know, I was I wasn't I wasn't drunk. I was actually I was, but I was I was in a very bad place at that time. And literally, without even realizing what I was doing, I literally was standing on that bus stop. It uh, wasn't even waiting on the bus to stand in there. And all of a sudden, I just broke out at 6.30 in the morning, yelling out loud, going, what am I doing? Who am I? This is not who I am, you know, that kind of thing. And I think the people that were standing at the bus stop waiting to go to work kind of did a little side shuffle. They were kind of, <laughs> you know, not, well, not quite sure what was about to happen. So, um, But at that point is when I decided to get the help I needed and um, and, and went down and, and got a got, got literally talked to a counselor who got me set up in the treatment center. Uh, a little little itty bitty place in St. Paul back in the day uh, that used to be around and ain't around no more, but uh, but it was an eye opener for me. It was it was to let me know exactly this is not who I am. This is not what I'm supposed to be doing, you know. And I needed I need something. I need to do something better. This is not how what my life is supposed to look like. Yeah, and I mean you lost a lot in that time, right? I mean not only your identity, yeah, but your family, your home, you, you know, all sense of self-sufficiency, that incomprehensible demoralization yeah. is, is no joke. And uh, yeah, what a way to find it, man. Just out there on your own, not even trying to catch the bus. You're just like, I'm just kicking it at this bus stop. Yeah, just standing there, you know, and all of a sudden I just, just had a breakdown, you know, it just, just, it just blew up, you know. But I, and then it was like, I got to get this. I can't do this anymore. I, this is not who I am. You know, uh, you know, when you, there was a little bus terminal in downtown St. Paul. Don't know if it's still there or not, but it used to be, you know, 
uh, they would you would go in there, you can and you would lay down for a minute, you know, hoping that you could just get away with being there for the night. But the cops would always come in and clear it out for people who were, you know, hanging out and just just you know sleeping or whatever, you know. And I had that happen a couple of times. Now that 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 was kind of like a wake up call. I tried to call somebody to let me come and stay with them. They were like, no, <laughs> absolutely not, you know. Man, that's crazy. Yeah, I don't miss being homeless or any of that stuff, dude. That was hard times. You like you want to, yeah, I don't know. Like if you struggled with suicidal ideation or not, but I know I was there pretty hardcore for a long time where it was like mm-hmm. I d- didn't understand. Yeah, I really just was convinced that there was no place. You know, some people question like, what am I do? You know, what is this life for? What am I here for? And I've, I've, like past that point where I was just like, I don't even shouldn't be here. You know, I'm I'm glad that I was wrong, you know? Uh, So were you at that time? Like, did you always uh, believe in God and have a relationship with the Lord uh, growing up or did that come later? I, I, I already always had a relationship with religion. Not God. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I, I mean, man, listen, I thought I thought when, when somebody talked to me about Jesus, I thought that was I thought, well, he's some kin to God, ain't he? You know, that's about that's about as all it went for me. Um, but I grew up in religion. I mean, I grew up in a church that uh, that literally it was a it was Episcopalian church, uh, AME African. There was a combination and and that kind of thing. And and the thing was, is that, you know, I, I've, all, I've had that that base and that foundation of God in my life. But a relationship with Jesus Christ was never there. And I didn't realize that that there was a difference until later on in life. Uh, I actually was sober for five years before somebody actually introduced me to Christ. And when that when that person introduced me to Christ, that's when the floodgates opened because I realized that everything I had been doing for that five years was all in my own power, my own strength. But I also realized it was his grace that actually was keeping me until I, I had my eyes open till the scales fell off and realized that who Christ really was. And that's what made that's what made the difference. Now, now I was no longer operating in my strength, but I was operating in his. And it actually brought the peace that does pass all understanding. It actually brought joy into my life because back then I was not considered a very happy person. Uh, so, you know, to see that, see, you know, the light back in my eyes and that kind of thing was great. Um, this is the way, you know, I, this is the point where somebody may say that, you know, the most people say, oh, well, you must have decided to go and start helping people in recovery. No, uh, that was the furthest thing from my mind. Um, literally, when I gave my life to Christ, I started operating in the, in the, in the business arena. Uh, I was a I was a manager of a mortgage company uh, where I had where I had um, uh, loan offices working for me the whole nine yards. And we built three we built three offices uh, over the course of time. And uh, it was in that process and how I was able to give back was that I ran into a guy who was struggling. He was struggling as a, as a loan officer. We sat down and talked and I realized that he was dealing with an addiction. Uh, he was really good. But the problem was that he was he was doing it not to take care of himself, but to feed his cocaine habit. And I actually became his sponsor without even volunteering to become his sponsor. It was <laughs> it, it was it was interesting how that all worked out. Um, but. That was the thing, the door that made me, that made me start thinking about this. So when the mortgage industry d- dried up in 2008, um, it was like, okay, well, what, what, you know, what do I do? Because we they were laying off folks left and right. I mean, people getting out the business because it was hard to survive. 
Uh, and then a friend of mine who who is in long term recovery. He was a, he was not only in long term recovery, but he was also a, a, a CD counselor. Uh, called me up one day and said, "Hey man, we need somebody to run a sober house. You think you'd be interested in that?" To my immediate reply was, "Hell no, I wouldn't be interested in nothing like that." You know, <laughs> I said, "Are you kidding me, man? I ain't been around. I ain't been associated with folks like that in a long time, man. I don't want to go. I I, li- I remember what it was like living in one. Why would I want to run one?" Right. Well, <laughs> Well, six months later, uh, when things got tough, he he just happened to call again, and I said, "Okay, what y'all want me to do?" <laughs> you know, and uh, it was a live-in position, which was uh, which was very interesting because that was the first time that I was. Uh, it wasn't a Christian home; it was a it was it was one that was run by a secular treatment center, and uh, and the actual owner of that organization was dealing with his own issues that I think people turned a blind eye to until it finally really manifested itself and got the place shut down. But um, the interesting thing was that he brings me over to to the house where everybody was staying in out in North Minneapolis. And he goes, he goes, you're going to do great. You're going to do fine. He said, you're good. They're going to love you. He said, I'm going to introduce you. I'm going to tell them all about you. I'm going to tell them what your responsibilities are and everything else. And all nine yards, right? I'm like, okay, cool. You know, and, and, and then go from there. So these all guys all come back on the van walking into this house, you know, that I'm going to be managing. I'm standing outside with him. And as they're walking in, they looked at me like, like, like God, they, they about to carve me up, man. They just yeah. not, they were not friendly at all. So I come walking in and he goes walking in behind me. He tells everybody to come in the living room, have a seat. All the guys come into the living room, have a seat. And he says, this is your house manager. If you got any questions, ask him. And then walks out the door. That's it. <laughs> that was my training. Okay. Oh, hell no. <laughs> and, and, I, and I'm sitting there and I'm standing in the little living room with all these cats like, and I'm shaking like Don Knox, you know, and, and, and I'm like, I don't even know what to do at this point. And they knew I didn't know what to do. So they started disappearing one by one. A couple of guys went outside the house and started smoking crack. Some other guys went up to their rooms and started passing a bottle of Mad Dog 2020 back and forth. And it was that, that house is off the chain. Uh, and then to make matters worse, what I found out later on that night as a, as a, we got the knock at about a quarter to 12, as we got the knock on the door, I opened it up and there's two women standing outside. They had a deal with the previous house manager to go and hook the guys up on the first of the month and cut him a little bit of, of the profit. And uh, <laughs> I was like, no, no. I said, this, I can't, no. I said, I, I ain't doing this. Right. So literally I made up my mind. I said, I'm going, I'm moving, I'm moving all my stuff out of here. I'm getting out of here the very next day, the very next morning, I was going to turn in my keys. And then I was praying to God about what to do next. And, 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 and somebody once said, if you want to, if, if, if you want to really get yourself in some, in some, in some hot water, pray to God, he'll tell you exactly what you need you to do. Cause okay. you may, you may not like it, but it's exactly what he needs you to do. So literally as I was praying to him, he told me, he said, listen, he said, you asked me, if I wanted you to do this. And I said, yeah, I need you to trust me in this process. And I said, I said Lord, they don't even know the Lord. He said, I know that. He said, but I still need you, mm-hmm. you know? So when I made that decision and I, I was in there, I cleaned that house from top to bottom. I prayed over it the whole nine yards. And then, and then literally I started calling other people uh, in the recovery community and started asking questions. Well, I had this one group that decided, say, you know what, we'll come and do a recovery group at your house. 
at the house you run. I said, okay. So these guys uh, called his squad came over and they started, they started doing recovery groups right there at the house that calmed the house down a little bit. And then somebody else turned me on to this other group. Uh, and this guy was really good. He, he, so he's, he had actually ran the narcotic part. So we had a narcotic group going on. So Monday nights we had, uh, we had uh, a, uh, uh, Tuesday nights we had NA going on there. And then I wanted to be, I wanted to, I wanted to do a Bible study, but because, it was it was it was a secular. They wouldn't let me do it. Mm. So then I got somebody, to, uh, to, you know, put a thought in my head, and I started thinking about this. So I went back to him again. I said, you know what? I said, I know you guys don't want me to do Bible study, so I, you know, I, I won't do Bible studies. But what I'll do is I'll do spiritual meetings. And they were like, okay, we can do spiritual meetings. Okay, cool. <laughs> which yeah. is which was which was a Bible study, but yeah, but, <laughs> but, you know, but, so that's what we did. And, uh, and literally, uh, you know, <laughs> things started turning. It took me a two and a half years to turn that thing around, man. Wow. And, uh, wow. and, and, and it gave me another house to run, which was a Spanish speaking house. And as I always tell people, I said, now ask me how much Spanish do I speak? And the answer is none. So, uh-huh. so they were getting over me all the time. Every time I ask them to do something, we don't speak English, senor. And it was this every single time, you know. Uh-huh. But, uh, but we were able to get that part figured out, uh, you know, and, and and get to a place where where we were able to get it managed and what have you. And I and I stayed there all the way up until uh, I got the well, not the, I got the call. I wound up going to work for another organization. But in the process, throughout all that, I was trying to somebody who came to one of our Bible studies who graduated from our program asked me a question one time, said, have you ever thought about working at Teen Challenge? And I was like, man, Teen Challenge? I never even heard of it, man. What is that? And they mm-hmm. told me what it was. And the first thing, you know, just like everybody does when they hear that, they say, well, I'm working with teens, that's not exactly what my alley, you know, and, it, and that's the furthest thing from the truth. But, um, you know, you have teens there, but there's more adults than teens. So um, literally, I put an application in, didn't hear from nobody. I wound up going to work for another organization and worked for them for a while. And then I ran into this guy again. Um, and he said, hey, man, did you ever think about that? I said, hey, man, no, I thought about it. I put an application in, but I heard from nobody. OK. He said, really? I said, yeah. He said, oh, yeah, I tell you what, let me let me check on something. The next day, I get a phone call from the uh, for, from the director's uh assistant asking me to come in for an interview and I came in for an interview and an interview with this guy and after I got through interviewing with him this is what he said to me he said he said can I he said do you mind if I do something he said what's that he said do you mind if I pray for you to get this job I said wait a minute let me make sure I got this right you're interviewing me you're responsible for hiring whoever you want to hire you want to pray for me to get this job I said, brother, do what you got to do, man. I lifted my hands in the air, let him, let him go ahead and pray over me, right? right? Two days later, they called me and asked me what schedule I want to work, 7 to 3 or 3 to 11. Wow. <laughs> so, Dang. Yeah. How often do you get that option, too, to, like, pick your hours? Jeez. Right. That's awesome. Man, and you've been doing it ever since. Ever since, 17, almost 17 and a half years now. Man, it's crazy to think that you literally had your stuff packed. You were like, this is crazy here. I ain't, I'm out of here. And then you were like, no, right. I guess I'm staying. I guess I'm staying. Yeah. And I mean, it, it was some tough times, but uh, like, but what I understood, it, it really strengthened my faith in, in Christ because literally I had to rely on him every single night, man, from fights breaking up to guys coming back, you know, after curfew high and, and this, that, and the other. It, was, it, it took a while to turn that ship around. 
But yeah. the thing was, it just it wasn't me. I tell people all the time, man, it wasn't me. I still run into cats that uh, I ran into a guy not too long ago. Said, man, I remember you manager house, man. And he said, man, you just was you just stayed the course, man. It was just amazing how you were just able to. I said, no, man, it wasn't amazing. It was him because right. I'm not I'm not amazing by any means. It was him. You just stuck it out. Yeah, you didn't leave. Even though you wanted to. uh, Yeah, I was too stupid to do otherwise. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it all happens for a reason. I think it's it's, it's funny how God will take no matter what it is and use it for the good at some point down the road. And so, yeah, in that moment, you're just thinking, damn, I really want to go, but I'm going to stay. You know, I'll stay. And I'm sure you were, like, hesitant or thinking, like, well, I'll stay for now. Yeah, I'm sure you didn't think it'd be a few years later, right? Yeah. No. And the thing, the thing about that, Jason, is this, is that I had to realize that what he had, what his plan was, because if I hadn't stayed, I guarantee you, I never would have been equipped to work at Team Challenge. Right. If I hadn't stayed, I never would have had myself in a position to, to, to get to that next level or get to this understanding what – the big picture of recovery is all about. I would have never had that opportunity if I would have made the decision not to stay. You think about like roommates in general, like it's hard to live with people, you know, roommates can be tough. And so in that instance, you're living in the house with a bunch of, you know, struggling, still active in a lot of cases, you know, or maybe there's a few that are actually really trying to change and it, you know, I mean, dude, you're living with them. <laughs> That's patience, love, and tolerance one on one. Yeah, it was. It, it was. Trust me, it was. It, it was a proving ground process. <laughs> I bet it was, man. I bet it was. And, and you know, now, now that's awesome, dude. Because it's it's all led up to the next thing and the next thing. I mean. It was cool seeing you up there, uh, you know, promoting your new business at the Hope Dealerthon recently. Uh, I had no idea that you had another thing going on, but it sounded like it's since last time I had seen you, it didn't exist then. But yeah, like now you're kind of getting your own practice going with coaching and and that's that's amazing. Yeah, and that's and, that, and I mean, you know, that whole deal, uh, that, that, that's, that's literally spun out of this. When going back to that, the situation we're talking to guys at coffee, you know, I never knew that that having those conversations with people who were doing well in their recovery and people who weren't doing well in their recovery would spun into, spin into something like this. But I just began to realize, man, is that the more people that kept saying, man, you don't know how much we need this, man. We don't know how much, you don't know how much we appreciate how you talk to us, how you motivate us, how you encourage us. And, and that was, and that was like, okay, these need, this needs to get outside the four walls of team challenge, not just to, not to promote me, but promote that recovery is not just possible but it's doable. It's, it's getting people to understand is that you can have long-term recovery. If you just plug into the fact to stay motivated through your recovery process, which is exactly why I call it the workshops motivation through recovery, because it's to get you through the process. You know, David said, yeah, do I walk through the valley of shadow of death? I feel no evil. He never said, yeah, do I walk through the valley of shadow of death? I'm going to build a, a Hilton. I'm going to build an SA and I'm going to make myself nice and comfortable and stay right here in the valley. No, he said, walk through it. 
Okay. Right. You know, Winston, Church, Winston Churchill said the words, he said, if you find yourself going through hell, keep going. So we want to show people how to keep going in their recovery process. And we have got some dynamite, dynamite people that have been coming, coming down there. Uh, some people come, <laughs> some people become regular, or become regulars. You know, good friend, become good friends of mine. And they're, you know, they've got a number of years of recovery. They're actually bringing people, you know, listen, you got to you got to hear this this stuff because it's something we don't hear on a regular basis about how to plug into your long term recovery and how to make it work for you. You know, I do love that. And it's just awesome. You know, and I, I think it's it just comes back to this responsibility. Like I feel like I had a responsibility. Right to to share the message and to give people hope and 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 then i felt like same reason why i have such a like need to learn about different pathways and all these different avenues and and you know try to like sharpen my skill set with with you know whether it's you know motivational interviewing or you know just coaching in general because it's like the more that I dedicate myself to learning that stuff and the more, you know, of a position I'm in where I can help people in a more effective way. And it's like, it's all boils down to responsibility. Like, dude, I'm not here doing well because I did it, you know, other people spoke life into me. They sewed into me and I have to give that back, man. And yeah, AA, they say, you know, we only keep what we have by giving it away. Not mm-hmm. everybody's a 12-step guy, but that's so true, you know? Like, yeah. And to your point, it fills your cup. It, it it fills your heart up. You know, it gives you a good feeling. And, and, you know, you make deposits into that spiritual bank, which is more valuable than money. <laughs> you know what I mean? Far greater, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's amazing. You know, when we talk, I mean, like I say, you know, some people are twelve step people and some people are not. But here's what I want people to understand: is that that message of giving of giving it away or sharing it with others. My wife and I currently, or we just actually finished. We just actually finished going through a grief share. I don't know if you know about, about that program, but it's for people who have like they've lost loved ones and that kind of thing. And you know, almost a year ago to be a year next week, uh, we lost our son in a motorcycle accident. And uh, in that in that process, uh, we started going to grief share probably about uh, well, let's say thirteen weeks, so about fourteen weeks ago. Uh, we were ready to start or start on that journey. And one of the interesting things about about that situation was that they tell you that healing is something that takes a process and, and you never get over the grief. But the key component when it comes to getting over the grief is by being able to be there and share the experience with someone else who's going through it who may be not as far down the road as you. And now when I first heard that, I said, well, isn't that interesting? Yeah. I said that if that don't sound like the 12 step, I, I mean, if I even said that, I even said that in the works in, in, in and in that group, I said, I said, if that don't sound like the 12 step, I don't know what it is. And there was another woman who who told me, who said that night she was, that she was in recovery herself. And uh, she said, and she started shaking her head. She said, Oh man, that's right. That is right on money. I said, isn't that interesting that the same way that it comes to being getting able to get out of your addiction or uh, be able to stay on the road of recovery is by helping someone else do the exact same thing. Operates in the grief shit just like it does in 12 steps. I said, isn't that funny? Every aspect of life, bro. Every aspect of life. And then the funny thing is too, is that really these are like, you know, basic 
they're spiritual truths that are across the board. You know, these are spiritual absolutes. So no matter what your belief system is or whatever, it doesn't matter. Or if you're in a program, you know, or in a, in a support group, it doesn't matter. It, it's all from the Bible, <laughs> but you know, they just package it different mm-hmm. because people want to reject the Bible and that's fine, but they're sure not going to reject the fact that, you know, they get suggested these things. They, they follow the suggestions and it bears fruit in their life. You know, like they're not going to question that. And that's, so it's all the same thing, man. It's just whatever. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's funny though. Like I've always thought that's weird. You can study all these different things and it's always that same realization. Like, man, that is the same. <laughs> this is it's like the same work, the same things that you need yeah. to do. Yeah, that same process. So man, that's awesome. I've I've had the pleasure to speak at some grief meetings, faith based and some secular and mm-hmm. uh it's different, man. Like, you know, when I first started sharing at like 12 step meetings, you know, they, I was told, you know, like always leave a moment at the end. If anybody wants to ask questions and usually when you ask it's crickets and nobody asks you nothing because they already all know, you know, but man, not at a grief meeting, bro. You open Mm -hmm. that floor, you're getting some heavy questions. You can feel the pain. You can feel it. And it, you really find yourself just like, oh man, like I'm just being so thoughtful about my response. Like I do not want to say the wrong thing, you know, to these people because you can feel the gravity, you know, yeah. in the room. And, and you know what? Like, like I said, I learned so much in that process because of the fact that I, I'm the kind of guy that's like, okay, this tragedy's happened. Let's move on. You know, but, you know, my 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 life is not like that. And that's OK. But I, what I came to understand was to be to be like I am is OK and to be like she is OK. But we all have a different process for grieving. So in that in that process, uh, you just got to understand and know, man, is that you can work with folks no matter where they are in the process. Yeah. Meet them where they're at. Yeah, meet them where they're at. That's just coaching, too, in general. Same mm-hmm. thing. You got to meet them where they're at and then kind of help them find the answers within themselves. Exactly. Man, so how long have you been doing this uh, private coaching thing now? And the so now, Yep. So now the private coaching has been going on since, uh, uh, and, and, and speaking, has been going on since, officially since 2016. Um, I actually uh, literally started developing an actual, uh, the, the, there's two series. So you got the lecture series, which I do for treatment centers when they invite me to come in, that kind of thing. And then I do my workshops, which are designed for uh, mostly like the RCOs and, and anybody else who would invite us in to do an actual workshop, whether it's a, whether it's for a three session, seven session, whatever it is, but we'll come in and we'll do those as well. Uh, so, but the whole, like I said, the whole premise is behind it is that it's just seeing people's lives be touched. I'll never say the word seeing people's lives change because change isn't up to me. That's up to God. But I'll say, but if I can touch your life to the point that you want change in your life, so you can add value to your life for the rest of your life, then I've done what I need to do. Well, I know about a couple different uh, possibilities. I don't know. We can talk after the show about, but you know, like some, some possible avenues where maybe you could take it to some other States, some other areas around. Then, uh, 
you know, get that message more widespread because I think it's so it's so critical that we do that. You know, it's we we can cast the stones out there, we can fling the seed, but you know, the ripples or the or you know the harvest that's that's all up to God, man. But mm-hmm. that's that's all we're responsible for is fling the seed and and let it be let God do His thing. Um, I'm just like super stoked about hearing about that. And I'm glad it's been taken off. It seems like it's really, I mean, hearing you speak, uh, at that hope dealer Don was amazing. And you sure had the crowd going, man. You, you guys might not know it listening to this because we're pretty low key. We're mellow, but Daryl had, it was hype in there and he had everybody just screaming and hollering. It was awesome. <laughs> the energy was real. Um, I loved it, dude. And God bless you for for everything you're doing. I have some rapid fire questions that we can close with if you're down. You ready? Sure. I'm ready. All right, man. So question number one here at the Way Out Podcast, we think that daily routines are essential for a meaningful and sustainable recovery. So that being said, what would you say your regular recovery routine consists of? It consists of, for me, it starts off every day without fail, getting into the word, the word of God. That's, that is the number one thing for me every day. And then from there, it goes into whatever positive book or whatever uh, book that actually motivates me and encourages me. Uh, I'm currently reading a book right now, uh, The Heart of Recovery. I just got it about a week ago. And it's one of the most powerful stories I've, I've read in quite some time. And this is, yeah, I, I highly recommend for anybody who's in, re- in recovery, especially if you're in in the, in, the, in the practice of helping people, whether you're a minister, whether you're a coach, whatever it is, I highly recommend getting this book because the story in this book about this about this family is absolutely mind blowing. Uh, I, I won't I won't give you the premise of it. You need to pick it up and get the book yourself. Okay. Uh, matter of fact, let me see. I, I, what I can do is <laughs> nobody's gonna see this, but you can show can it to kinda, me. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say I could, <laughs> I could kind of let's see if I could get it. There we go. Gotcha. Turn it that way. Yeah. The heart of recovery. You know what's kind of funny, Daryl? To like total squirrel moment here, but this is the first time that when I've asked the first question, that somebody in their response to that first question dove into answering the second question, which was, "What's a book or piece of literature oh. that's helped you?" <laughs> Sorry about that. No, it's awesome. I was like, "Dang, this dude's good." <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. You know, I, you know, I, I sometimes I get a little, I get, I get a little ahead of myself. You know, but it's the excitement, it's the enthusiasm, yeah. that kind of thing. So, yeah. But just because that happened, whether or not that's gonna be your book pick for for like the one that touched your life the most or whatever, doesn't yeah. matter. We're putting that book in the show notes now. It earned its way. Excellent. <laughs> Oh, but yeah, okay. So you said you get into the Word of God, but maybe yep. you pick up some other literature. Anything else? Yeah, and then uh, after I'm done with that book, I start getting ready. I literally get ready for my day. Uh, get a chance to pray with my wife before I head out to work. But on my way to work, what I, I do is I like to listen to a positive podcast. And and and, and I and I say this uh, so everybody understands, man, is that you got to when it comes to recovery, you got to think outside the box. Don't it's nothing wrong with doing your daily rituals, daily routines, but start and when as you continue to grow in recovery, add other 
aspects to your recovery. There's all kind of recovery podcasts out there. You know, I don't know if you know this or not, but there's one that we have to be on right now. Right. <laughs> so, so, so if you, you know, there's all kind of good, solid podcasts you can follow. Uh, yeah. I like doing that. I like I like following after certain uh, certain uh, leaders like Dr. Miles Monroe and others. Uh, just to, just to put me in the get my mind right, man. Because you know, you want when you're going out there and dealing with this world, you want your mind to be right. So what you fill your mind of will make all the difference in the world or in the world. You know, what you feed yourself is what's going to breathe. So you continue to feed yourself on positive things, and then positivity will begin to come out of you. But I tell people all the time, they say, "What's?" They, they tell me they'll you know, post say, "Well, what's your key to stay motivated?" I said, here's the deal. I said, motivation is like bathing. I highly, I, you know, I, 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 it's really good, but I highly recommend it daily. So you got to daily put that stuff in you on a regular basis, man, because I'm telling you, it makes all the difference in the world. After I listen to podcasts, I've got a couple of, I got a couple, a couple of affirmations that I, that I speak over my life uh, every day. And the reason why I do that is to help my mind and my heart line up when the direction that I want to go and be available for however God's going to use me that day. Because how many of you know that so many times when we get into our day, it doesn't always go the way we planned it. Right. So you got to always know exactly how to handle it when the plan doesn't work out the way you think it needs to. You need to be able to stay positive. You need to stay motivated. And you need to absolutely be able to put your mindset at a place where you can see what the next step is when it comes your way, because the answer is going to come. But if you're in a, but if you're negative and talking, oh, I can't, I can't, I knew this crap was going to happen. If you're like that, you're going to miss the opportunity. You're going to miss the assignment. You're going to miss the the, the the answer answer that's available for you in the process. Sir, man, that's that's good advice, and it kind of just ties right into what you were just talking about. You know, just what you feed yourself. You know, it's so important, the input. That's what comes out, you know. So it's important filling yourself with good, positive, spiritual, you know, motivational, hope-giving, life-speaking things is going to help you do that for others. It's going to just ooze out of you, right? Same same as negativity would do the same thing. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, then the second question was, what is a book or a piece of literature that has had the biggest impact on your life? <laughs> the biggest impact book, of course, has been the Bible. But the Bible. if you would ask me what I have on my nightstand right now, it would definitely be this book, uh, The Heart of Recovery. This book talks about something that I think, and, and, you know, I think is very valuable in the recovery community. And it's the, it's the actual thing called community. Hmm. It's because of my association with you. It's because my association with others in the recovery community is what has strengthened my belief and literally starved my doubts when it comes to recovery community. It has put me in a position that to understand is that you, you can't stay healthy and have long-term recovery without community. And I say this all the time, and people like to, some people like to fight about it, some people like to disagree, and that's okay. But here's what I know. The key to recovery is not sobriety, it's community. And when you're able to find a good recovery community, you can start sustaining long-term recovery. Yep, you're never alone, never again. Never again. Right. Next question, what is the best piece of advice you think you ever received? 
the best piece of advice that I that I have ever received. Um, boy, there's been so many good ones over the years. Um, the best piece of advice uh, actually led to me saying this quote, and the quote is this. Um, what you do is not who you are, but what you practice is what you become. And I remember somebody telling me a long time ago is that, you know, the repetition is the mother of skill. Whatever you repeat is what you is what is how what life is going to be for you. So if you repeat negative stuff over and over again, you're going to be negative. If you repeat positive stuff over again, it's going to be positive. So when I understood that, that it was a practice. We get away so many times we forget, man, that it's about practice. Just like you practiced your addiction and you thought you became good at it, <laughs> you gotta <laughs> practice, you, you've got to practice your recovery, okay? What you do is not who you are, but what you practice is what you become. So you got to practice, 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 practice? You mean practice? Come on, man, we talk about practice. <laughs> you know, I, mean, I mean, you know, the, the, the famous rant of Allen Iverson, of course, you know, that everybody thinks, man, you know, <laughs> you know people, people talk about it, we say, okay, great, Allen Iverson was an awesome basketball player in high school, he's ESPN's top 100, but he didn't believe in practice, and he would say something like that in the middle of a championship run. How many championships did Allen Iverson win in his time? None, zero, okay? So, Obviously, practice, but the ones who are the great ones have always believed in practice, and they got to a point where it just began to be elevated in their lives. I mean, uh, the late Kobe Bryant, I read a story about him in Sports Illustrated back in 2013, 14, and it was about him being on the Olympic team, man. And 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 here all these great players with with uh, with, with Coach K and, and and what have you, LeBron James and, and KD and all those guys, man, they were all practicing. Well, one day after practice, uh, the guy who actually told the story to Sports Illustrated, his name is Rob. He was the actual training and strength and conditioning coach for the Olympic team. And he gets a call at 2 o'clock in the morning while everybody else is asleep, and it's Kobe Bryant. And he said, hey, man, can you come down and work me out? He says, oh, yeah, man, I'll be there in a second. So he grabs his gear, gets all, you know, throws water on his face, and he goes down to the gym to, to go work out Kobe with some strength and conditioning. He gets down to the gym. And he sees Kobe drenched in sweat. And he says, oh, man, he said, wow, you must have been here a long time. He said, I'm here to help work you out. It's okay. So they did, after Kobe stopped taking shots, he took him and he worked him out, did some strength and conditioning for an hour and a half. And then after he did that, he went back to bed. He gets back down to the practice facility the next morning. Everybody's there. And there's Kobe at the other end of the floor shooting jumpers. And, he's, and he went over to him and said, hey, Kobe, good workout earlier this, or earlier this morning, man. He said, thanks for the sleep deprivation. He said, but I'm just curious, what time did you get out of here? And Kobe puts up a shot and goes swish. And he turned to him and said, right now, I said I wasn't leaving this gym until I hit 100 jump shots. I was, I'm sorry, 800 jump shots from five different angles. Wow. You, you heard me right. Now think about this for a second. At that time, Kobe was a was a four time MVP, won a couple of championships at that at that time. Why would a guy like that still need to practice? Because he wanted to be at the top of his game. Because he wanted to always win and be better than the next opponent. When you think about your addiction, you want to be better than your addiction. You want to always be practicing recovery so you can always step up to the next level. Of your recovery, man, because I'm telling you, what you do is not who you are, but what you practice is what you become. 
And it's not oh. the fact you don't know how to practice. You know how to practice. You've just been you practicing the wrong thing at one time. Now you're practicing the right thing. That's what's up, dude. He's dropping it on us, you guys. I'm glad. I'm glad you just did that whole thing because that was badass. And people, that that is exactly what we're talking about. We're listening to motivational stuff. So I hope somebody's like, man, I'm listening to you right now, and this is motivational, you know, like if I'm following your advice. Because <laughs> that right there, you got me getting all pumped. I almost knocked my lamp over. <laughs> that was funny. All right, dude. Next question. What would you say is the greatest challenge that you have had in recovery? The greatest challenge that I've had is seeing other people not win. It, it really, I, I, I hate, I hate seeing people not win, especially men, you know, and I know, like I said, you know, I, I, I you know, I, I teach women, I teach men, all night, guys, but there's a special place in my heart for men because I believe the men are called to lead. And when men are not operating in their calling, man, everyone else suffers. And I'm not talking about just the kids, the kids, of course, but everyone else suffers when suffers when they don't take the lead and when the position they're true, they're chosen to call at. So in that process, you know, I hate seeing people. That's been the toughest thing, man. It's just uh, the heartbreak that has been developing. Uh, I'll give you I'll give you a rough example that's going on right now across the streets from Teen Challenge is uh, there's a homeless encampment that just popped up there about about four or five weeks ago and wow. it's growing. Uh, and, and they're right on the highway side of the, of, of the freeway. And uh, just to see those folks out there every day, uh, just, just, and it, I mean, they, they're not just out there, man. I mean, they're doing drug deals. They're doing, they're, they're, they're doing drugs all nine yards. You know, there's been times we tried to talk to them and to make matters worse during the evening hours, they have a tendency to come onto our property and use right in front of our windows where we got guys who are in there fighting for their lives. Yeah, man. And, and I, you know, we, and, and we've been, we had one guy who was actually out there, man. And some of our staff went out and talked to him, got him in the program, got him, got him a, 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 a G245, got him in the program and he's still there today. But too many times we've seen, we've seen guys come over and, and, and guys are getting triggered and we're trying to keep them calm and trying to keep them going in the right direction, keep them away from the windows all nine yards. But, you know, it's, it's there, it's right in front of you. But right. one of the things I, I said, I said to the guys the other day was this, I said, listen, if you can't handle what you're seeing out there, what's going to happen when you get out there? Right. And that's so true, man. But you know, they are also so raw. Yeah. When they're in there. Like, I don't know if you're talking about uh, like men's short term, my, they're raw. My they're raw. bedroom window looked out at the wall that's on. You got it. Yeah. Yep. That's the spot that's you're talking about. All that's right. what I'm talking. That's you know exactly what I'm talking about. That's what I figured. So, yeah, I mean, I couldn't imagine, dude. I'm sitting in there. I'm still on lockdown because I'm like, you know, still flying. And then, uh, you know, What's to stop you from walking down the hall and just going out the door? You know, it's open door. You know, yeah, 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 man. That's too bad. And it's crazy that the cops can't do nothing right now out there in the city. They can't they do nothing about almost nothing. Yeah, you know? I mean, and it, it took the state trooper. You, you and I, I mean, I found I've never seen it before in my entire life. But we're in a different time now. But literally, about eight state trooper cars came out there and did something that that I'd never 
seen in my entire life. But they went through and served everybody eviction notices because they were on state because they were on state property. Oh wow! So they had twenty four hours to vacate. And do you know the next day at eight o'clock in the morning they came through with trucks and vans and started throwing people's stuff in, in the garbage and stuff like that and collecting that stuff. Folks was running down the street trying to collect, you know, trying to hold on to each trying to find somewhere else to go. It was, it was, it was a sight to behold. I had never seen anything like that in my entire life. Wow. Damn. So that was like the highway patrol. So they're like, this yeah. is state property. So here right. you go. No, yeah, but but you know what they did? They just moved right out of there and across the street on city property and you know. <laughs> yep, problem solved. Because the city's yeah. got so many restrictions on them these days. Yeah, I mean, I you know I work construction, road crews stuff like, mm-hmm. and it, so a lot of those jobs. If we're in Minneapolis or St. Paul, we have police officer on site, and all they do is sit there and watch movies, and you know, because they like volunteer for those shifts. Yeah, and uh, man, you get to talking with some of those dudes, man, and hearing about all this stuff, like they can't engage in high speed chases, they can't, you know, really engage in a lot of, uh like trying to stop a lot of different things that are going on out there in the streets. It's, it's nuts, dude. I don't know what's happening, but hopefully it gets better. Cause that's, you know, I mean, I get your point, but it's like, that is just so hard for the guys when they don't, they're so far away from God. They don't have the sense that, you know, like maybe this is going to work for my good. You know, like you were saying, it's going to prepare you for when you really go out there in the real world. It doesn't, you know, mean much to a guy who's feeling hopeless and just like he's trapped up in this treatment center, you know? Yeah. I'm going to go out there and those are my people. I don't even know them, but they got dope. <laughs> you know? Yep. Yep. That's exactly what, <laughs> that's exactly and People right. are doing it in there for, for, for a dang cigarette. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't imagine what they're doing for, you know, to, to when they're seeing people get high. That's crazy, man. I'll be praying for them, brother. That's Thank nice. You. Yeah, dude, that's that's hard. Okay, next one here. What do you think is the greatest challenge that you faced in your recovery? In the beginning, it was just it was just always wanted to be drawn back to being isolated. Um, I was always the kind of like I said I do, in the beginning. I, I just kind of kind of got it. It was just up and go, you know, and just disappear on folks. Um, and it's so easy for it to be for me to go back to that mode i i mean i don't i'm nowhere i'm not as bad as i used to be uh nowhere near it uh but there are moments where it comes up and i just want to be by myself and isolate but what i found is if i stay in that state too long wrong thoughts can appear wrong thoughts can be start 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 to start to uh collate and start to pick up but the key is, is that now is that when I when I get to that state, I've, I've learned how to pick up a book and read or I've learned how to, uh, you know, have engaging conversations. Or if I'm totally by myself, you know, I'll put on some if it's, if it's music I listen to or if it's, a, if it's a movie I can watch that's healthy and good for me, I can do that. But I don't just keep myself in constant isolation. OK, because I'm, I'm totally believe that isolation is the is the key to devastation in your life. Okay, isolation, isolation does nothing but isolation is the is the revelation of devastation in your life, man, every single time. And I know Say it again. 
I, isolation is the revelation for devastation in your life. And I'm telling oh, you, every good. single time, man, every single time, when they, if I see myself going to that state, I have to snap my head. Guess what? Mr. Glaze, let's go do something else, man. Let's get off this. Let's get off this train. Okay. Let's let, let's walk. Let's get amongst some people. Let's go take a walk, whatever we got to do, because I don't want to stay in that period of time for a long period of time. I can't do, I can't do days of isolation anymore. Okay. Yeah. No, I can't it's do never that. good. Never good. Mm-hmm. Never good. But that, that was an awesome quote. I love that. I'm using that with my friends, buddy. Next, <laughs> next question. What is your greatest success? Do you feel my greatest success, man, like is, is going right back to what I said before about seeing guys win. Uh, one of the greatest moments we get to see on a regular basis is once a month, we get to see those teen child's graduations. And when you see a guy that comes from start to finish, they come they go, they come from long-term, they come from, uh, they come in and they go to short-term, the long-term, uh, they graduate and then they made it, they make a decision and say, you know what, I'm not done yet. I need more of this. I need to get better at this. And you see him become, uh, go to TCLI, which is the ministry leadership school. And you see him do that for a year or two. And then all of a sudden they're working in the actual organization as a recovery coach and you see like we've had some that have done that start off and, and then became recovery coaches then went from recovery coaches going back to school and getting the LADC or the degree or, or working in the recovery field at a higher level and that's when it gets good man that's when it gets good um mm-hmm. I, I I'm gonna put a plug in uh, uh, just a, something that, that might be a, a idea for a show for you. There's a couple I know we could talk about it offline just to keep the an enemy at an enemy. But there's a couple uh, right now in the recovery industry who were all they were all they came through different paths, they were you know strung out, going to jail, all that other good stuff, right? But now the mother, the father, and now the daughter all have their licenses as far as being LADCs, being chemical dependency counselors. But they all started, all three were trapped wholeheartedly in addiction, okay? I, I You may even know one of them, but like I said, we could talk about that offline yeah. later. But, uh, I think but I know story, what you're talking about. Yeah, the story is so powerful, man. It's like, you know, the first time I ever saw it. And, I, I you know, you knew it, but when you see it written or when you see the uh, – when you saw a video – uh, that was featured at at a Teen Challenge Gala. It was like it was like wow. I mean, it really puts you in a perspective, man, about right. about the, not the, the just not just the devastation, but the triumph, which is what I always love. I love seeing people overcome, man. I just love it. Amen. That there's almost nothing more powerful. Yeah, you know? mm. there's almost nothing more powerful. Uh, one more. It's a, it's a little heavier. And then after that, we'll finish with a fun one. Uh, this one I wrote because it's instructive to me and I think to everybody else. And it shows no matter how successful somebody appears to be or how good they appear to be doing, uh, whatever, how powerful their message is, uh, that we all have things that we have to continue to work on and face. So, the question is, what is something that you haven't forgiven yourself or someone else for? Mm. I haven't forgiven myself for uh, probably probably one the one thing I could definitely say I haven't forgiven myself for was the fact that how I how I was to people. Um, I don't I don't make a lot of, I don't make a lot of excuses, but understanding how to make amends. 
uh, for the things I've done, even to this day, it's hard. And it's, it's not that it's not all, it's not always a pride thing. It's just a, it's just a, I don't want to talk about it. Cause I don't want to bring that old stuff up. Uh, but, and I've moved so far away uh, from the process in my life, but still there are times when I, I blow it. I mean, if you're a married man, you, you probably blow it more than you possibly ever can think of. Okay. And if you don't think it, and if you don't think you do, she'll let you know you do. So, so, so the bottom, you know, so the bottom line is it's just knowing that sometimes the act of recover or the act of forgiveness or the act of stepping out and make it at amends with somebody is still a hard thing to do because it's something I'm not willing to, uh, that in here is not willing to let go. It's gotten easier over the years, but I got to tell you, it's still one of the toughest things I have to deal with on a regular basis. And I can't forgive myself. I have a hard time forgiving myself because I feel it shouldn't have been this. I shouldn't be struggling with it this long. Right. Like I should be better than that by now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, I do the same thing. Nobody ever beats me up as bad as I beat myself up there. Yes. <laughs> yes. I am my own worst critic. All right. Finally, this is my favorite question. It's a fun one. And it, it's always a pleasure to check out. I, I actually discover some pretty awesome stuff by asking this question. What is a song that symbolizes recovery to you <laughs> um there's a call there's a song by, the, by a guy by the name of donald lawrence and it's called there's a king in you and that symbolizes recovery to me because it reminds me of who i am uh i i am the, i am a king's kid and there's a king on the inside of me that keeps me that keeps growing and knowing that there's always another level to what God has in store for me. So that's the thing that ties into my recovery is understanding there's a king in me and understanding that it goes right back to that bus stop moment where realizing this is not who I am. And they were, and the whole thing behind that is it was the king in me crying out, telling me who I was and who I shouldn't be. That is powerful. Cause at the time you didn't know that, but you can look in hindsight and you can see it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's nuts. Uh, so many moments like that I've had in my recovery, and I hope I continue to have life. I, I trust I will. You know, I keep walking the path and following the Lord and doing doing recovery stuff and trying to help others. That's all you can do, man, and you just keep growing as you grow. But, uh, man, Daryl, thanks for being with us. And for all you out there listening, we will have contact information for Daryl. We will have uh, his book recommendations, his advice, his song recommendation links to teen challenge and to his coaching practice and all of that stuff wrapped up in a nice little pretty bow with clickable links in the show notes for you guys to be able to reach out and uh, access that information or contact him directly. And if you want to hear his song, don't forget to check out the way out playlist. It's exclusively on Spotify. Sorry. But yeah, if you go on, <laughs> if you go on Spotify, it's the same logo as the show. Look it up, the Way Out playlist. It's a curated list of songs that symbolize recovery to all of our amazing guests on the show. And, uh, man, I just can't thank you enough for being here, brother. Thank you. No, I can't thank you enough for having me. I appreciate you, and I love the work you're doing, brother. You know, and it's, it's, it's my honor and privilege to share this recovery journey with you. Appreciate it, dude. And we all do. And uh, we need each other, man. I mean, everybody's story matters. So that being said, you guys, We're going to sign off. I hope you all have a good week ahead and stay blessed. And remember, 
Take care of yourselves and each other. Thank you for being a part of The Way Out. We appreciate your ears. We're sharing powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics every week. So keep listening up. If you would like to reach out to the show, you can visit us on the web at wayoutcast.com. That's wayoutcast, all one word, dot com. There you can subscribe to the Way Out podcast on all of the major podcast aggregators, such as iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podbean, Overcast, and more. Or simply drop your hosts a friendly email at share at wayoutcast.com. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, contact us at share at wayoutcast.com. See you next time. And remember, if you don't change, your sobriety date will.